In the shadowy depths of Australia's history, a sinister figure once walked among us, leaving a trail of terror and death in his wake. His name struck fear into the hearts of many, earning him a chilling nickname, The Mutilator. Brace yourselves as we delve into the horrifying tale of William MacDonald, a serial killer who haunted the streets of Queensland and New South Wales during the early 1960s. The details of his gruesome crimes will send shivers down your spine. So, prepare to uncover the darkest chapters of true crime as we step into the mind of this evil-minded predator. Chilling thrills, unexplained mysteries, and creepy stories that actually occurred. Welcome to Freakier Than Fiction. I'm your host Chad, and as you know, each episode, together we will dive into the world of the unknown. So, if that kind of thing interests you and you haven't done this already, then hit that follow or subscribe button, and that way you won't miss the next freaky episode. As this podcast is intended for mature audiences, discretion is advised. In this special one-year anniversary episode, we embark on a haunting journey into the twisted mind of one of Australia's most notorious serial killers, William MacDonald, notoriously known as The Mutilator. On the 17th of June 1924 in Liverpool, England, William MacDonald's life took a sinister turn as he embarked on a killing spree that struck fear into the hearts of Australians in the early 1960s. His modus operandi was shockingly brutal, preying on unsuspecting male victims, mostly derelicts, who he would often lure into secluded locations hidden from watchful eyes of society. What set MacDonald apart from other serial killers was the sheer sadism and cruelty that he displayed. With a long-bladed knife in hand, he would unleash his violent rage, repeatedly stabbing his victims in the neck and head dozens of times. But that was not enough for him. His depravity knew no bounds. In a truly gruesome display, he would then sever their genitals, leaving behind a horrifying scene of brutality. The year was 1961, and the city of Brisbane would unwittingly become the stage for the first act of William MacDonald's chilling reign of terror. Little did anyone know that an innocent man, Amos Hugh Hurst, would be drawn into the vicious web spun by this merciless killer. It was a seemingly ordinary evening when MacDonald and Hurst crossed paths outside the Roma Street railway station. The night was young, and fate had brought these two men together, sealing their destinies with a darkness that would forever intertwine their names. As the evening progressed, the two men engaged in a long drinking session at one of the local pubs. Their laughter and companionship masking the sinister intentions that lurked beneath the surface. 
Little did Hurst know that the hand of death was inching closer, shrouded in the shadows that concealed the malevolence lurking within MacDonald. Eventually, the two men retired to Hurst's apartment, a seemingly safe sanctuary where they could continue their drinking spree. The room, once a place of warmth and familiarity, now bore witness to the impending horror that would unfold within its confines. As the alcohol flowed, intoxication took hold of Hurst, his senses dulled and his guard lowered. It was the perfect moment for MacDonald to unleash his monstrous desires. With a sudden burst of violence, he wrapped his hands around Hurst's throat, choking the life out of him. Hurst, too intoxicated to comprehend the danger, began to hemorrhage, blood pouring from his mouth and onto the very hands that had sealed his fate. In the aftermath of the horrific act, MacDonald left Hurst's lifeless body on the bed, an eerie tableau of death and despair. The room, once a place of life, now bore witness to the chilling reality of mortality. Five days later, MacDonald's world would be shaken when he stumbled upon Hurst's name in a newspaper obituary column. The shock was palpable as MacDonald had been convinced that he had left no traces behind, that his deeds were undetectable. The realization that his victim's death had been reported as accidental sent shivers down his spine, for it was a grim reminder that the shadows of his malevolence were now creeping into the public eye. Terrified of the police knocking on his door, MacDonald's reign of terror was about to gain nationwide attention. The sinister figure known as the Mutilator had made his mark, and the city of Brisbane would forever bear the scars of his gruesome acts. Little did anyone know that this was just the beginning of a dark and haunting chapter in the annuals of true crime history, as the nation would soon discover the name William MacDonald would soon become synonymous with fear, cruelty and the chilling atrocities that would grip Australia in a vice of terror. The hunt for the mutilator was now underway and the country would be forever changed by the horrors that lay ahead. On the 4th of June 1961, the mutilated body of Alfred Reginald Greenfield was discovered near St Vincent's Hospital in Darlinghurst, Sydney. Savagely stabbed over 30 times, Greenfield had become the second victim of the mutilator. The circumstances surrounding Greenfield's death were chilling and heart-wrenching. It is believed that the victim had been sitting alone on a park bench in Green Park, blissfully unaware of the impending horror that awaited him. Like a serpent in the grass, the sinister figure of the mutilator approached Greenfield, offering him a seemingly innocent drink. Innocence, however, soon gave way to the malevolence, as the unsuspecting victim was lured to the nearby Domain Baths under the false pretense of sharing more alcohol. Once inside the dark and secluded confines of the baths, a terrifying transformation occurred, and Greenfield's life was snuffed out in the most vicious manner. 
the mutilator, driven by unrelenting darkness within, waited until Greenfield succumbed to sleep. As the shadows deepened, the air thickened with tension, and the killer revealed the true extent of his malevolence. With a sharp and deadly knife in hand, he launched a savage and frenzied attack on his helpless victim. The first blow struck Greenfield's neck with such force that it severed the arteries, causing blood to spurt and gush. The ferocity of the assault was nothing short of nightmarish, and the killer showed no mercy, repeatedly stabbing the defenseless man over and over again. Each piercing blow seemed to pierce the fabric of reality itself as the veil between this world and something far darker had been torn asunder. And then, in the final act of depravity, the mutilator mutilated his victim, severing Greenfield's genitals from his body and callously discarding them into the murky depths of Sydney Harbour. The echoes of the unspeakable horror reverberated throughout the city, and the media was quick to christen the unknown killer with a chilling monkier, the mutilator. Ernest William Cobbin met a fate so sinister and malevolent that it sent shivers down the spines of all who learnt of his tragic demise. Ernest, who was 37, found himself being the next victim of the remorseless killer, the mutilator. The eerie scene of the crime unfolded at Moore Park, a place that would be forever stained with the imprints of Cobbin's final moments. As the sinister figure of the mutilator lurked in the shadows, fate conspired to lead Ernest Cobbin to Croft's paths with his doom. Ernest, likely unaware of the looming peril, encountered the mutilator on a fateful night while strolling down South Dowling Street. Like a predator drawn to its prey, the mutilator saw an opportunity and seized it luring Ernest to the dark corners of Moor Park. There, they shared beers in a public toilet, perhaps the very same place where countless unsuspecting victims had met their untimely ends before. As the night wore on, the tension grew thick in the air, foreboding the impending horror that would soon unfold. With an air of calculated malice, the mutilator donned his infamous plastic raincoat a harbinger of dreadful acts about to be unleashed. The chilling moment arrived, and like a phantom, the mutilator struck with deadly precision, his blade glinting malevolently in the dim light. It struck Ernest Cobbin in a swift and devastating blow, severing his jugular vein. Blood erupted from the wound, splattering violently over the mutilator's arms and face an eerie mask of crimson horror. Ernest Cobbin, in a desperate bid to defend himself, raised his arms in a futile gesture of resistance. But the merciless force of the mutilator's onslaught was relentless, raining down upon him like a storm of fury. The assailant continued to stab his victim repeatedly, each puncture carving into the very fabric of reality as though the boundaries between the mundane and the macabre had blurred into one. In the claustrophobic confides of a toilet cubicle, 
the walls became a canvas of blood, bearing witness to the grisly spectacle that unfolded within. The mutilator's actions painted a nightmarish scene, a twisted display of carnage and terror. And then, as the dark ritual reached its crescendo, the mutilator, fueled by inexplicable darkness that gnawed at his soul, claimed Ernest's genitals as his macabre trophy, sealing the grisly fate of his victim. With cold indifference, he concealed the tools of his deed, his knife, and the severed remains within a plastic bag. As the dawn broke, the echoes of the horrifying night reverberated throughout the city, and Ernest William Cobbin became another tragic name etched into the annuals of the mutilator's reign of terror. The mutilator, shrouded in the cloak of anonymity, vanished into the shadows once more, leaving behind a city gripped by fear and dread. The air was dense with an ominous energy, a harbinger of the chilling tale that was about to unravel in the heart of Sydney. In the midst of that haunting night, the evil persona of William MacDonald emerged from the shadows, driven by a sinister compulsion that surpassed all understanding. His gaze was fixed on a fresh target, another pawn in his macabre game. A man by the name of Frank Gladstone McLean. Frank, unsuspecting and unaware of the terror lurking in the shadows, found himself ensnared in the web of darkness MacDonald had meticulously spun. The streets of Darlinghurst, typically alive with the bustle of city life, were now transformed into a harrowing scene of terror. As the clock ticked away, MacDonald stalked his prey with calculated intent, moving silently through the labyrinth streets. When the opportune moment presented itself, he made his move, descending upon Frank with a ruthless intent that left no room for mercy. MacDonald's attack was swift and savage, the blows of his blade puncturing the night with malevolent ferocity. Frank, though mortally wounded, displayed a tenacity that defied belief, attempting to fend off his assailant despite the odds stacked against him. In a desperate bid for survival, Frank fought with every fibre of his being, clinging to the slivers of hope that flickered in the shadows. But MacDonald's insatiable thirst for blood knew no bounds, and he unleashed a renewed assault determined to extinguish the last embers of life in his victim. As the struggle intensified, the streets bore witness to a surreal spectacle of horror. The brutality of a predator colliding with the resilience of his prey. Blood stained the pavement, the stark evidence of the night's harrowing events. As the shadows deepened and a sense of malice hung in the air. But in the midst of the turmoil, destiny made its presence known. A young family approached the scene. Their innocent arrival shattered the deadly scene that had unfolded. The sound of a baby's cry pierced the night, an echo of life amidst the encroaching darkness. Sensing the encroaching danger, MacDonald retreated into the shadows, leaving behind a mortally wounded Frank McLean. 
but the attack was not yet complete, and MacDonald would return to ensure the sinister work reached its horrific conclusion. Once the family had passed, MacDonald returned to the barely alive Frank, his thirst for blood still unquenched. In a final act of brutality, he struck Frank with a lethal blow, extinguishing the last flicker of life from his body. As the night wore on, MacDonald's actions betrayed an unholy sense of purpose, as if guided by some malevolent force that propelled him onward. Leaving the scene behind, MacDonald carried the weight of his dark deeds, the evidence concealed within the confides of his mind. He fled the scene, disappearing into the night like a shadow, leaving behind a city again gripped by terror and uncertainty. In the aftermath of the assault, Darlinghurst became a chilling reminder of the evil that walked among the innocent. The streets, once a bustling neighbourhood, now bore the scars of the night's horrors, forever haunted by the echoes of a struggle that had unfolded in the dark of night. As law enforcement grappled with the trail of destruction left by the mutilator, Sydney trembled in fear, wondering when the malevolent force would strike again. The city held its breath, united in its collective dread of the killer who remained elusive lurking in the shadows, and waiting for the opportune moment to strike yet again. The reign of terror had not yet finished, and the city's darkest hour was yet to come. MacDonald's fifth and final victim, Patrick Joseph Hackett, met his gruesome end in a wine saloon in Sydney. Inside the wine saloon, the air was thick with an eerie sense of foreboding, the atmosphere betraying the sinister intentions that laid concealed beneath its facade. MacDonald, ever the master of deception, had lured Hackett into his clutches, under the pretense of sharing a drink and friendship. To the unsuspecting eye, their meeting may have appeared as any other ordinary gathering. However, beneath the surface appearance of normality lay the sinister core of a predator. As they engaged in conversation, the room's atmosphere shifted, charged with an unseen malevolence that only MacDonald could perceive. The shadows seemed to dance with malice, as if the darkness itself anticipated the horror that was about to unfold. In a calculated act of cruelty, MacDonald reached for his weapon cold steel of his blade glistening in the dim light of the wine saloon. Before Hackett could comprehend the danger that loomed before him, the first blow struck with lethal precision. A savage stab to the neck that would forever seal his fate. The room erupted into chaos, the echoes of Hackett's cries mingling with the sound of his assailant's relentless assault. MacDonald, driven by a dark force that defied understanding, delivered blow after blow, each stroke fueling his insatiable thirst for blood. The walls of the wine saloon bore silent witness to the harrowing scene that unfolded within its confines. Hackett's lifeblood spilled onto the floor, forming a chilling tale of horror 
that seemed to seep into the very fabric of the room, forever staining it with the mark of evil. As the night wore on, the saloon became a macabre theatre of death, where the lines between victim and executioner blurred into an unholy dance of destruction. The sounds of struggle and violence echoed through the night, mingling with the city's heartbeat, forever etching the name of Patrick Joseph Hackett into the annuals of darkness. And then, in the final act of depravity, MacDonald severed Hackett's genitals, a grotesque gesture that not only defied the body, but the sanctity of life itself. The once welcoming room now stood witness to an act of desecration so atrocious that it was beyond understanding. With the deed done, MacDonald fled the scene, leaving behind the lifeless body of his fifth and final victim, a stark reminder of the malevolence that had descended upon Sydney. A city gripped by fear and uncertainty, recoiling at the horrors that had unfolded within its midst. The legacy of Patrick Joseph Hackett would be forever intertwined with the enamic figure of William MacDonald, as would the rest of his victims. A haunting testament to the darkness that lay dormant within the human soul. In the aftermath of that fateful night, the city of Sydney would never be the same, haunted by the spectre of the mutilator, whose reign of terror had left a trail of destruction and despair in its wake. The police were hot on MacDonald's trail, and his arrest was imminent. However, he managed to escape Sydney and lived under a false identity. In a strange twist of fate, an incorrect identification of a murder victim led to his eventual capture. On the fateful day of May the 13th, 1963, MacDonald was working as a porter at Melbourne's Spencer Street Railway Station when the long arm of the law finally caught up with him. His true identity had remained hidden, and he'd managed to evade capture for quite some time by using aliases and constantly moving between different locations. However, MacDonald's attempts to conceal his true self were ultimately foiled when an eagle-eyed colleague recognised him. Even though he had tried to change his appearance, dyeing his hair and growing a moustache, it wasn't enough to hide from the prying eyes of his workmates. One of them, having seen a widely circulated identikit picture of MacDonald in the newspapers, immediately alerted the Melbourne police. As MacDonald collected his pay for that week, he was swiftly apprehended by the Melbourne police, who acted upon the information provided by his former colleague. The capture brought a sense of relief and closure to the investigators who had been pursuing the mutilator for months. Once in custody, MacDonald's facard of innocence began to crumble, and he confessed to the gruesome killings in chilling detail. He attributed his crimes to the irresistible urge to kill, claiming to hear voices in his head that identified his victims as the corporal who had raped him during his time in the army. MacDonald's trial in September of 1963 
was one of the nation's most sensational. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, but the jury shockingly returned a guilty verdict. The court heard horrifying details of his murders and the sadistic mutilation that he inflicted upon his victims. Despite overwhelming evidence of his mental instability, MacDonald was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences with a recommendation that he never be released. Imprisoned at Long Bay Hospital, a division of the Long Bay Correctional Centre, he became the longest serving inmate in the New South Wales prison system. MacDonald remained unrepentant and in 2015, at the age of 90, he died from a gastrointestinal blockage while still imprisoned. His death marked the end of a terrifying chapter in Australia's criminal history. But the legacy of the mutilator lives on as a chilling reminder of true evil. As we close this chapter on the chilling saga of William MacDonald, we are left with a profound sense of unease. The mutilator's heinous crimes remain etched in the annuals of Australian true crime history. A haunting reminder of the darkest corners of the human psyche. While justice was served and MacDonald was in prison, the scars he left behind on the families of his victims and the communities he terrorised will never fully heal. His crimes have forever imprinted a legacy of fear and shadow. Yet, in exploring the depths of this macabre tale, we are reminded of the importance of vigilance and the tireless efforts of law enforcement to protect society from those who would prey upon the innocent. The case of the mutilator serves as a grim reminder that evil can lurk in the most unexpected places. But it also reaffirms the strength of the human spirit, the resilience of those affected, and the unity of a community that refuses to be silenced by darkness. As we bid farewell to this haunting tale, let us not forget the victims whose lives were cut short. May their memory endure, and may the lessons learned from this harrowing experience empower us to stand against the horrors that threaten to encroach upon our world. Thank you so much for listening to the Freakier Than Fiction podcast, and joining me for one whole year of chilling thrills, unexplained mysteries, and creepy stories. If you got something out of today's episode, and you haven't done this already, then hit that follow or subscribe button, and that way you won't miss the next freaky installment. And make sure to share the podcast with all of your friends and family. Let them know how awesome this podcast is and how much you enjoy it. I'd love your feedback. And some of my amazing listeners have even sent through some messages, which I'll now play for you all. Hey y'all, it's Mims from All the Sins Worldwide Podcast. I am here to congratulate Chad from the Freakier Than Fiction Podcast on his one-year anniversary of recording, editing, and distributing his podcast. Chad, you've done an amazing job with your podcast, and I personally love the Tylenol Murders episodes. I think it was really well written, and I think that you have done it justice. 
So thank you so much for also collaborating with us. And we hope that you continue on your podcasting journey. G'day. I would like to say congratulations on making it through to your one year anniversary. I've been listening since episode one and I love it listening every week. I love the variety of the content. I find it all really interesting and I love the fact that the content is quite diverse. Uh, favorite episode have to be the night Brisbane lost its innocence, uh, partly because I used to work in that building, used to visit it quite frequently. Uh, so it was really interesting to hear the backstory behind it, which is quite um, uh, obscure. You don't really hear about that anywhere at all. There's no record of it on the building or anything. Uh, yeah, congratulations again on one year anniversary, and hopefully this is the first of many. Congratulations on one year of podcasting. My favourite episode of yours is number four, the Yowie. I find the mystery around this creature really fascinating and hearing people's encounters is also very cool. Keep up the good work. Episode one, the Bermuda Triangle, was one of my most favourite episodes out of all the ones that have aired so far. There, there were some facts that I knew, some facts that I didn't. Like, I didn't know about Christopher Columbus actually seeing the fire falling into the Bermuda Triangle. That was so new to me. And then also about the twin passenger plane disappearing in 2017. Like, that that astonished me so recently. And then episode 31 as well was really great because I had to put my thinking cap on to try and guess who the person was. But overall, freakier than fiction's research on everything that they've done, all the facts and information they've gotten has been amazing. And I always just can't wait for every new episode that comes out. So definitely, definitely check out the podcast. You won't be disappointed. Hello, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Freakier Than Fiction's one-year anniversary. One year already. Absolutely insane. If you do like the content, drop a follow, hit that subscribe button, and you can even drop a little comment down below. Tell us what your favourite episode is. Mine, personally, is The Watcher's House. Thank you so much to those listeners that reached out with their warm wishes. It really means so much to me. Again, please take the time to leave a five-star review and let me know if there are any stories or cases you'd like me to cover. Your input will really help the podcast out. If you want to get in touch, you can find a Linktree account in the description of this episode. And that has all the links to my social media accounts, including Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Patreon. I do make sure to read all my direct messages and answer them personally. So, if I see you on Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, or anywhere else, just know that I really appreciate all your support. Thank you again to all my listeners for this past year. I couldn't do this without you. And remember, take care out there and be aware, for the night is alive with a darkness that hungers for your soul. The mysteries of the unknown are like a siren's call, tempting you to explore the depths of the macabre. But be warned, dear listeners, for those who delve too deep may find themselves lost forever in a world of madness and terror. So, 
as you step into those shadows, keep your eyes peeled and your mind open. For in this world of the inexplicable, there are no guarantees, except for one. That when you tune into the next episode of Freakier Than Fiction, you'll be diving headfirst into the unknown. See you in the next episode.